Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. This week we celebrate the Breakers' victory in the Australian National Basketball League. Two New Zealand teams are involved in one of the longest ever netball matches. A first for New Zealand cricket with four women gaining professional contracts. And we look back at the V8 supercar round at Pukekohe. The celebrations are probably only just dying down for the New Zealand Breakers and their fans after winning their third straight ANBL basketball title with victory over the Perth Wildcats in Game 2 in Perth last weekend. Another remarkable story for the franchise who were clearly the best team in the competition this season. It also marked the end of a career for the Tall Black star Dylan Boucher. Muriel Baker was in Auckland when the team had their meet and greet with the fans on their return. Dozens of eager children lined up within reach of their favourite players led the chant for the breakers before they came out on stage. CJ Bruton, Cedric Jackson, Dylan Boucher and the rest of the team clasped hands with fans and waved to the crowd as hundreds cheered. The breakers coach and recently awarded NBL Coach of the Year, Andre Lamanis, was the first to show his appreciation. This is about you. Um, obviously the team's had some success but we... Uh, certainly appreciate the fact that you enjoy the success with us. We're just so pleased that we can put a team on the court that, uh, that you guys are proud of. And uh, it's been a pleasure playing for all of you and to stand in front of so many of you today is, uh, is humbling. So thanks a lot for, for supporting us as a team. Official photos were snapped before the breakers stepped off stage to mingle with the fans. Longtime supporter Tony Jane was one of many lining up to offer his congratulations to the players. I just really think it's an amazing um, uh, achievement what the team has achieved, you know, three peak in any sport. Yeah. For Sky City to put this on, you know, it's really special for the fans as well. Another fan, Sam Bensley, left his partner and newborn baby at home to bring his other children down to meet their sporting heroes. Take the kids along, get them to meet the team, yeah, take photos, autographs. But we couldn't bring the baby down, she was just a bit too new. But she's at home watching the uh, replay now, so it's good. <laughs> Amongst the crowd, retiring Breakers player Dylan Boucher says he's touched by the fan turnout. It's really humbling when we get the fans coming out here and supporting us like this. Like we, we train so hard all year and we play so hard to, to be able to raise the trophy at the end of the day, but you know it's, it's only possible by fans coming out and supporting us. So these guys mean a lot to us and it's nice to be able to you know, get off Australian soil and get home and celebrate with our true fans. He says Friday's championship win was the perfect send-off. I couldn't have asked for a better send-off, you know, it was a, it was a fairy tale ending for Paul Hannaday when he, he retired and for me they've done exactly the same thing, so it speaks volumes of the club and the volume of the players around us as well that are able to do that for their teammates. NBA bound Cedric Jackson says the fan support during his turn with the Breakers is something he won't forget. It's always, you know, great to have, you know, people who, you know, show love and support, so you always want to remember, you know, the people who showed you a lot of love when you know 
you were uh, up and coming. So, you know, I definitely can't forget, uh, you know, our fans here. And he's not ruling out a return to the breakers. I always keep that uh, uh, door open because, you know, they've done so much for me and helped me uh, elevate my game. So I definitely keep that open. Cedric Jackson ending that report from Muriel Baker. The teenage Christchurch motor racing driver Scott McLaughlin provided the highlight for the huge home crowd at Pukekohe Park Raceway as the V8 supercars returned to the legendary circuit near Auckland for the first time since 2007. McLaughlin became the youngest ever winner on the supercar circuit with a calm victory in the opening race. The 19-year-old steering his Holden home to a rapturous reception after tyre trouble took the pole sitter and reigning champion Jamie Wincup then Ford legend Mark Winterbottom out of contention. Richard Wayne spoke to Scott McLaughlin at Pukekohe. How's that feeling coming down there with that crowd cheering you on? It's unbelievable, mate. Like, I took the lead and then the last lap, it was unbelievable. It actually sent real goosebumps through my whole body. It was just crazy and, and something that I'll never forget. <laughs> it's crazy. Can you describe what was going through your mind when you saw Winterbottom crash out in front of you on, I think, lap, uh, lap 19? Oh, yeah. yeah. I just had to get around the debris. There was a lot of debris as well, so I, was, I didn't want to get a puncher. So I tried to find my way through and then when I got through, I was like, holy crap, I'm actually leading the race. So, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. And uh, But I, again, I had the job to do. I still had like 22 laps to go, so I needed to focus and just keep my head and I was actually lucky. I had um, Alex behind me who was quite nice to me, my teammate. That helped a little bit to get a little bit of a gap. And then, uh, yeah, it all sort of happened from then on. Did yeah. you keep pretty calm in the, what was it, 19 laps that you were in the lead? Yeah, as much as I could. I was obviously, the last five laps I was pretty nervous, but I just kept maintaining my gap. or trying. I kept looking in the mirror to see, you know, I'm hitting my marks in my, against him and me. Yeah, it was all pretty cool. But you see people clapping and yelling and, and fist bumping, and, and it's like, how the hell am I going to keep concentrating? Because, you know, it's just crazy. And you feel like you've got the whole New Zealand on your shoulders. An amazing start, isn't it? Yeah, it's an awesome start. We're fourth in the championship. We had one race win, and... Uh, Mate, you can't get anything better than that. It's good. It's good for the Kiwis as well. What does this mean for your career? Oh, it's massive. It sort of helps me cement myself in the category a little bit more. You know, it shows everyone that I can do it if I get the car under me and in the right position. It's a good confidence booster for me as well in the category. You know, I can mix it with these guys. I can beat these guys. And, yeah, just have it confirmed again today was great. Because that belief must take a while to come. Like, you know you can drive, but when you see the big names out there, you think, oh, you know, do I really belong here? No doubt. You know, when you're battling with Winterbottom or, or Lowndes, you know, the legends of the category, it's a tough ass. So um, to, to do that today and to fend off Jason Bright and uh, a few others, it's, uh, yeah, unbelievable. So happy. Mm. When you're sitting back planning this year, when did you think you might get a podium finish for example uh, in your heart of hearts when you honestly sort of... I don't think it would be this year at all top 15 was realistic top 10 was a podium or top 5 was like a win at the moment I don't know what a win is in my books at the moment but um, it's unbelievable and I think we've showed promise from the start of the season and just to continue that and uh, have some good results is great obviously it's one race win it's only what the third meeting uh, official championship meeting but um, you know you've, as you say you're fourth you're right in the mix at the moment for the championship I mean long season of course but that's what you're aiming for isn't it yeah exactly you know you want to you aim as high as you can in the championship and at this point we're in a good position for the championship but I've got to be realistic with myself too. I've got, I'm battling with guys that have won championships or been close to them. So I've got to, and and also I've got to 
just be happy where I am. You know, I'm battling up the front and something that I didn't think I would be doing. So I'm pretty stoked where I am now, man. It's a, it's just a matter of time before we start really competing for win after win. And the New Zealanders seem to be doing so well this year. Do you put that down to the change of cars more evening out in the field, or, or is it just the talent coming through? What do you reckon? Um, I don't know. I think obviously Shane and Fabian have always been around, and yeah, I, I think it's the, the, even in the cars that helped me as a rookie. I've been able to come in when everyone else is evened out. But apart from that, yeah, I think it's just some of the teams have got a good shape on some of the setups and stuff like that. So, and we're all in pretty good cars, so I think that's, that helps a lot. Two other New Zealand drivers took podium places on day two with Holden drivers Shane Van Gisberg and Fabian Coulthard second and third behind Will Davison in just the second ever race win for a Ford at Pukekohe. Jason Bright claimed the Jason Richards Memorial Trophy for the overall best driver of the weekend in an emotional victory he dedicated to his late Brad Jones racing teammate. Richards died of cancer in 2011. International cricketers Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, Sean Ruck and Sarah McGlashan are the first New Zealand women to be awarded one-year professional contracts. The contracts allow the players to focus on playing and training as full-time professional cricketers. Each contracted player will also work closely with a major association to increase awareness of the game at school and club levels, helping with female coaching development and recruitment and mentoring up-and-coming representative players. Richard Wayne spoke with Sophie Devine, a dual international, and asked her about this breakthrough for the women's game. It's an awesome opportunity for us, and it's a, it's a huge step for women's cricket in New Zealand. And, um, you know, we're hoping that, that us four can really hopefully change the game in New Zealand for, for women's cricket. I suppose a, a large part of that involves your liaison with the grassroots level. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the work that we'll be doing as part of these contracts is going back into our major associations and working with with the grassroots cricket, so looking to promote um, girls and women's cricket within the region and looking to boost numbers, especially here here in Wellington. We're looking to really grow those numbers again within the girls' numbers. And you've already started, I understand. You were coaching just uh, a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. We, we probably started, I think it would be two weeks ago now, start of April, we, we jumped on board. And look, we're, it's been a bit overwhelming to start off with. There's um, finally starting to realise how much work there is to do, but... Both myself and Sean here in Wellington are, are really starting to get stuck in and we've already been to a few schools and, and getting our hands right in there. Now you're based in Wellington. Are you still, do you play for Wellington or are you, uh, you've you got Canterbury connections as well, haven't you? Yeah, I, I've, I've lived in Canterbury for the past six years but I've, I've moved back up to Wellington permanently now so we'll be continuing to play cricket for, for Wellington and the hockey, we'll, we'll wait and see about that but looking to hopefully play for Canterbury in the hockey circle this year. And no no thoughts of um, of picking one sport over the other for you either. You're, you're a talented dual international and you're going to stick to that. Yeah, look, I think this opportunity with the cricket has made me focus more on the cricket at this stage, but the contract's only a year, a year long. So, again, I definitely don't want to shut the door on inter- international hockey at least just yet. So, yeah, we're definitely aiming to hopefully maybe add to those caps in the future, but at this stage, just focusing on the cricket. I guess uh, there's plenty of time with, uh, I suppose, the, the the World Cup, the Olympics down the track for hockey. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, I'm only 23, so I'm hoping I've still got a little bit left in me to um, maybe go back to the hockey side. Uh, is there any thought on your part that, you know, maybe you're perhaps by, by not focusing solely on one of those sports that you know, you're shortchanging yourself? I guess you are focusing on cricket right now, aren't you? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's been a discussion I've had with both hockey and cricket coaches, is that are you giving yourself the best opportunity to be the best player that you can be? And I guess for me, I've done both sports for a number of years now, and I feel like I've had a good balance. But, you know, that's one of the exciting things about this contract, is that I will be able to focus predominantly on the cricket, and it'll be interesting to see how much I can improve and and where my game will go. Have you had any uh, sort of coaching training for cricket, and, and will that be part of, of the deal that you'll be trained so that you can pass that on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to say that. Actually, we met with uh, the coaching development officer here in, in Wellington, Mark Borthwick, about our role as, as coaches in the region, and both myself and Sean have Level 1 coaching qualifications, and we're looking to do our Level 2s this year. So definitely part of the contract is to, is to help coach teams and, and pass on our knowledge. That's awesome that you're already well in that system there. Uh, any any thoughts on um, you know further down the track, perhaps once you retire from being an active international player, that you could get into coaching? Right, absolutely. I love that side of the game, and I think um, it's definitely an area I might look into. You know, in the future, should it, once I retire, I guess um, it, it's it's a path that has plenty of opportunities, and and I know I thoroughly enjoy helping girls out in particular, improving their game. So it's definitely an option later on. Do you have any goals for this year with this contract with cricket? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, obviously the the main one would be focused around my own playing performance and, and the White Fern side. We've got a couple of major tournaments coming up with a, a major tour to West Indies. Where we're playing a tri-series against West Indies in England. And then early next year, we're, we're off to the World 2020 World Cup in Bangladesh, I believe it is. So performing at those two events will be really um, important to me and hopefully with this contract allowing me to train and a lot more than I guess I've been able to in the past, I'm hoping to see some pretty good results. And from the contract point of view, I think being able to grow the numbers here in Wellington it will be a huge goal for me. It, it seems to be a dwindling a little bit, unfortunately, the, the girls' numbers in cricket. So trying to work on that will be something um, that we'll really focus on. When you play other sides like England and Australia, have, have they got fully for fully professional uh, women already? Yeah, I think it's hard to call them, I guess, full-time professionals. It's nothing like what the men get paid or things like that. I know both England and Australia do pay their women um, really well, and they have done for a couple of years now. They've got. I know England have a program in place where they similarly go into schools and and coach and and have a lot of their players on the cards and things like that. So I guess we were a little bit behind the eight ball, but it's great to see that New Zealand cricket have jumped on board and produced these contracts. Any thoughts on where, um, I suppose, cricket stands in terms of women's sports worldwide? I mean, like you said, the, the, the men's cricketers get paid absolutely shed loads compared to, to, to you know these these initial four contracts that you, you you guys are getting i mean is um is this a this is obviously a step in the right direction how much more would you like to see happen for women's sport in general and cricket in particular yeah look i think it's, like you say it's a first step and hopefully one that we can keep building on year after year i think cricket is i think if you look back maybe 10 years it probably would have been new zealand and australia would have been the only two real dominant forces in women's cricket whereas now you have england are a real a real force to be, to be, um, I guess, worried about. And even the likes of West Indies, we saw in the recent 50 Over World Cup. I mean, they made it all the way to the final, beating, beating both us and Australia um, in the lead up to that final. So, and even the, the, I guess, what you'd call the the minnow teams, the likes of South Africa and Sri Lanka, they're starting to be, you know, really, really quite some talented 
players within their side, which you have to be careful of. And, and there's no so much, not not so many easy beats now in, in the world competition. I mean, how much more can you, you know, with this extra money and time that you can put into training, how much of a better athlete will this help make you? Do you think? Oh, look, I think it's got great potential to improve improve my game. I know I've been quite lucky in the past where I've been a student for, I guess, the past four or five years, so I've had a pretty relaxed uh, lifestyle and a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to train. But there's a number of girls, both in the cricket and hockey circles, who have part-time, full-time jobs and, are, you know, some girls I know in the cricket side are, are working eight-hour jobs and then having to train. And, it's you know, I guess hopefully with the these contracts coming in and hopefully growing over the next couple of years can allow those sort of those sort of players the opportunity to train a bit more and really grow their game. Cricketer Sophie Devine, and you're listening to Extra Time. The Canterbury Tactics scored their first win of the Trans-Tasman netball competition last weekend, beating the other winless side, the Northern Mystics, 80-78 in double overtime. The Mystics are coached by another former Silver Ferns coach, Ruth Aiken. In one of the longest and highest scoring matches in championship history, the Tactics scored the final two goals needed to declare victory in sudden death. The match lasted almost two hours. I spoke to Tactics coach Lee Gibbs afterwards and she told me how tense it was. Well, it was edge of the chest stuff and I think either, type, either team were going to you know, be very disappointed, heartbroken at the end and really pleased it wasn't us. What got you over it, do you think? Um, well, there's been a bit of resolve. Our team has had um, to face a lot of losses and jump back, um, you know, the next game. So we've been working pretty hard and things just started to come right. The combinations whom, you know, for a lot of a lot of them are new combinations are just starting to, you know, see the benefit of some time together. Uh, did you have some sympathy for Ruth, perhaps? Oh, I, absolutely, because... Um, we both said afterwards, you know, for the team that wasn't going to get there, it was going to be pretty tough. But, yeah, certainly felt for them. They made us work really, really hard. Um, and, you know, I think we were both thrilled that it was a great spectacle. Um, it seemed to be a bit of a shootout, you know, that when you look at the final stats there for both goal shoots. Yeah, it's been a bit of a feature of this year's ANZ, the, the dominance and, you know, the high volume of shots that in particular the goal shooters are putting up. But, yeah, Joe Harden was really on a game to um, last night and, and really sunk some crucial shots for us. Do you think that's perhaps why we're talking about, or well, the media has been talking about all this physicality the last couple of weeks, just because of the, I don't know, apparent dominance of the shooters? No, I don't. I don't think the physicality is any different. I think it's just highly competitive, um, highly um, athletic players. Um, really, it's you know happening. There's competition. There's contest right through the court. I just think the shooters are really um, showing, you know, their class. I believe, and and the the opportunity and the ability to feed um, those shooters. That amount of time as as the result of some you know really strong attacking work through court as well. And the officiating's all fine. Oh look, they've got a tough job, and I think you know it's up to the players, the coaching staff, everyone involved to ensure that you know they provide a platform for um, you know decisions to be made clearly, and you know that's the constant challenge, and it's a constant challenge for umpires to to be able to see those and, and make those decisions. But they're human, as, as are the players and the coaching staff. So 
I, I don't sort of isolate them at all. It's important that we all work together to ensure that the standard and the product is of, of a great um, viewing. And talking about tough jobs, you have the magic next? <laughs> I know. Um, well, you know, what better way to sort of measure if, if we've learnt stuff from this victory um, to go up against last year's champion, champion team and they're coming off that's not um, such a good performance. They've had a bye, so it'll be good. We we certainly expect it to get tough and, and still be as tough um, coming into that, that game on uh, next weekend. That's what it's going to take, is it? Just being tough right across the court? Well, it's it's mental toughness. Um, it's when you know things aren't working, you know, working out how you can have another solution. And um, we certainly know that we've got to keep our position of the ball. Um, we did that better last night, but we're still, you know, giving ball away. Which, um, when you're up against the teams in this competition, that's goals on the board for them. So, we've got to just make sure we grow from the the confidence that we've got um, last night and, and put that into really good play. And how will that mental attitude be when your players get together for their first practice this week? Well, I think we're going to just have a little celebrate of. You know, just really enjoy that success and enjoy that feeling of, you know, just that victory and then put that aside and know that we're only into round um, five now of A and Z and there's a lot of work still to be done. But but overall, you know, the Canterbury tactics have, you know, not uh, perhaps led the way, but can you see some sort of resurgence here or what will this do? Oh, look, it's too early to tell. I don't want to, you know, sound negative, but... You know, one swallow don't make a summer, and um, our players know that. You know, as I said, we will enjoy this victory, but we know that there's lots of tough games ahead of us, and also backing up is what will be the true measure of of our progress. The former Hurricanes and Blues halfback Albie Matthewson is back in the country for the first time since he took up a two-year contract with the Western Force Super Rugby franchise. Under pressure from All Black halfback Perry Wepu, Matthewson decided to head to Perth last year. The Force have had some good wins at home, including a victory over the Crusaders last weekend. But Matthewson feels they can be just as good away from home, including this weekend against the Hurricanes. Yeah, I saw the game um, last week, obviously, because we were playing the Canes. And we, you know, so we should watch the tape of that. And he did, he played really well. So he looks, um, you know, he looks like he's enjoying, enjoying his rugby. He's, he's in better condition and that always helps. And, um... Also, winning, you know, winning helps as well. And I'm sure having, uh, you know, there's a lot of new players, fresh faces, uh, new new coaching staff. It's, I guess, it's similar to me, like just a fresh start. And it's it's always good to, you know, start off new. And you know, um, it, it obviously shows with his rugby. You've arrived in Wellington to rain, so you know, obviously, a fresh start in somewhere like Perth with the weather, and that's not a bad thing, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, we haven't had in. I think we've had two days of rain since I've been there, sort of thing. So um, obviously we're a bit colder, and I'm used to it. But the Aussie boys are—they're quite cold. But you know, tough conditions. We'll just we'll just have to. If it's like that on Friday, we'll just have to play to them. And you know, we've got the game plan to do that. Um, so it's it's not. We're not worried about it too much. So, so you've settled in, okay? You got family, or you know, Perth's all, all good. Yeah. Uh, Perth final got my family over there with me. Um, there's a lot of people there that I went to school with as well, and 
all the uh, most of the team are from from the east coast of uh, Australia, so everyone's really tight because they don't have family there either. So everyone hangs out together um, after training and and outside of rugby. So it's it's really nice. Now I know uh, AFL's big over there. What's it like being in a town perhaps where the union's not you know the main thing? Yeah, I, I guess it's quite nice. Um, whereas here it's it's everything and. Uh, you know, you you just have to sort of look at the canes. You know, they're going well, and then one loss, and people start oh, getting worried and all that sort of thing. But yeah, there's not. You know, it's just. I guess it's you can just go about your business and and that sort of thing without without too much media pressure. Which is, I guess, it's quite nice for some of our, our younger players because we've got quite a young side, and you know, I guess they don't need all that pressure of the media um, on them. Now, uh, a number of perhaps uh, you might call them non-starting New Zealand players have gone to Australia, but you're really the one of the few, you know, starters or you know top-line players. Do you think there's more opportunity perhaps for New Zealanders to be playing there rather than going to Europe or whatever? Um, I think if they want to play, um, you know, if they grow up playing an attacking style of rugby, um, that's the reason why I sort of wanted to stay in Super because it, it suits my style. It's an attacking style. It's a high level of competition. You, you know, all the Southern Hemisphere teams you get to play against. But I think you know because of the depth in New Zealand rugby, some guys are gonna they're not going to get the opportunity that they could in Australia. And I think you know I, I've said it before. Mike Harris is an example. He wasn't. It was on the edge of Super Super rugby, and you know, he had the opportunity to go over there. And you know he's he's getting. Well, he was getting game time week in and week out, made the Wallabies and, and that's our thing I suppose you know, you've got guys like Jaden as well Jaden Haywood that have come over and they get an opportunity to play so it's, I know there, there are some positives for, for younger guys that might not get a chance here. Do you see, see yourself coming back at all? Uh, I haven't um, ruled it out but you know that's not I've got another season in, in Perth so it's not for a, for a wee way away yet so I haven't really thought about it too much and the Aussie teams are playing pretty well. You know, uh, I know perhaps uh, Robbie Deans is getting a bit of stick as far as the Wallaby side's concerned, but, you know, the, the Super Rugby side's, Brumbies on, on top, Queensland's up there, you know? Yeah, um, you know, the Brumbies this year, they're, you can see last year they're a, they're a quality team. Their defence is, I think, they're probably the best defensive team in the competition, them and the Stormers, and they've got really good attack as well. So, um, you know, it's... Yeah, and the Reds, you know, with Guinea and Cooper, when they're together, you know, they're a dangerous side. So it's, I guess, it's pleasing for Australian rugby, and they'll be happy to see that. With obviously with the Lions tour coming up, um, you know, they'll be looking to to put in a, a massive effort against against them. And finally, just, uh, you know, your perspective looking at uh, the New Zealand game from from over there. Um, you know, is things still looking okay as far as um, New Zealand rugby is concerned. Oh, absolutely. You just the. I said it before, the amount of young guys coming through, the outside backs, the loose forwards, you know, New Zealand rugby's always going to be in good hands and, you know, there's, you know, Rennie Range is outstanding this year with, with more game time and, and uh, uh, less injuries and that sort of thing, so New Zealand rugby's will be fine. The ABs, of course, they've got their policy that if you're not in New Zealand, you're not eligible for the ABs. <coughs> We've seen the likes of Richard Kahui, you yourself, are overseas, Jerome Kano, all, all these types of players. Do you think it's time maybe they they sort of considered backing off that, that start? Um, 
yeah, no, like I'd, I'd like for me personally and, and that sort of thing, I'd like to see it. But I think, you know, on the whole, the depth of New Zealand rugby is massive. Like everywhere, um, always comments on just the depth of, of young guys coming through. So I guess they could look at that. But maybe if you're, I don't know, it's hard because the seasons seasons could clash with the All Blacks. You know, Japan's played a different time of year than Super Rugby. So I don't know, maybe if, if you're still playing Super Rugby, it, it might work because you're, you're playing in the same competition against the same level of competition as well. But, you know, you, you, who knows what will happen there. That's Albie Mathewson, and that's extra time for this week. We'll have more behind-the-scenes news from the world of sport next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.